The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Ministry Weekend with Zach Eswine. I'm going to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 10, and then in a moment we're going to look at 1 Samuel 30. And uh, at first glance, when you think Ecclesiastes and 1 Samuel, uh, you might think, what does that have to do with finding rest when there isn't any? And that's because I would like to take a, a big picture together in our first session and think together about why it is we struggle with rest and work. And then look at, at what rest and work looks like in the life of those who follow God. And then in our next session, we'll begin to look at how we work that out. Rest and work uh, and I, we've had a long tumultuous relationship, particularly as it relates to rest. Uh, we have a love-hate thing going on. And um, when I think about rest and work, I think about a moment uh, a few years ago in which uh, a book I had written had received an award, and I was being interviewed on the phone, uh, which would eventually be a podcast, that kind of thing. And uh, during, during the interview, uh, if you could listen to today, with Michael Didaway on preaching and culture. But if you ever happen to listen to that interview, and the content isn't bad, you know. If you ever happen to listen to that interview, here's what you want to know. I'm giving that interview uh, in, a, in a bathroom uh, in a Benedictine house out in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. I had lost about 30 pounds. I had lost hair. And uh, my eyes were red. And I was seeking to recover. Now, here's the thing about that. Uh, if that interview had been in person, I would have either had to cancel it or lie, you know, pretend a great deal in the presence of the interviewer. But somehow the, the medium, you know, of audio distance allowed me to present myself with the gifts that I have that really veil the person that I was and that I am. And there's something about life and ministry that can facilitate that breach between our gifts and our person, between what we do well and our souls. As a matter of fact, one of the difficulties of being a pastor and a professor is really heightened as a professor. As a professor, I'm constantly encountered in my areas of strength. Everywhere a student sees me, I'm doing what I'm good at. The benefit of being in congregational life as a pastor is you can only do that for so long. Uh, I've been where I'm at nine years, Riverside Church, and uh, we're a small enough place where I just can't hide and be there. And uh, as those things come together and this breach that we're tempted to uh, pushes on us, we have to begin with some thinking about why it is rest and work is hard. Why does that breach happen? And I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I want to briefly, briefly give an answer to that question that we could meditate on for the next three years. But the brief, brief answer is found in the errors of a leader. That's what Ecclesiastes 10 is about. 
the wise king Solomon the sage is speaking to the errors of a leader. And the primary error of those in leadership has to do with forgetting that they're human, according to him. And the first thing that we forget is that we're not immune. We are like everyone else. And that means we have to rest. Chapter 10, verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. That's where I get the idea that this is about errors in leadership. And then as the sages want to do, he gives us poetry, proverbs, poetic language to talk about these errors. Now, for some of you, when you feel uh, or experience the thought that you have to read some metaphors, it makes you impatient. Uh, and that is uh, part of our issue. We don't want to slow down with language. But I want to let you know there's something very, very kind about God that when telling us about the errors of a leader, he takes up the voice of a sage right here rather than the voice of a prophet. For the prophet would come to the leader and say, woe to you, repent, sinner. Yeah. The kindness of the sage is to give us some poetry, which means that errors in leadership, the leaders who are in error, have room to think, reflect, sit back, chew on it. It's a very kind thing of God to give you and I room. So the first bit of poetic speech he gives us is verse 8. What are the errors that he's seen under the sun of those in leadership? Verse 8, he who digs a pit will fall into it. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Now what's he saying? The first error of a leader is to believe they are immune. They have immunity. Particularly if you are the, a king in Israel. The temptation to believe that you are God's favored. You can be blessed. And it has nothing to do with how much or how little you have. It has nothing to do with whether you're male or female, or black or white or brown. Or you can be beneath the occupation of the Roman government and have nothing in terms of status or material gain or political clout. And yet before the eyes of God, you are a blessed woman, a blessed man, king, ruler. Blessedness doesn't make you immune. To be blessed, you need the wisdom of God. One immediate application of that, and there are many, I, I commend the whole chapter to you, but an immediate one for our purpose is verse 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength 
but wisdom helps one to succeed. Two paths to success are set in front of us. The one is a worker who never rests. The other is a worker who pauses and then works again. Pauses and then works again. The first path, the one who works without pausing is foolish because eventually that person has to begin to use more energy than the work actually requires. God actually doesn't intend you, intend us to work harder than the work requires. If you don't pause to sharpen the blade that you're using, if the iron is blunt and one does not pause from the work to take care of the tools used for the work, then the work becomes harder than it actually is. Do you see that? Um, it feels like waste to pause. Here's part of the reason why in our cultural conditions. Because the one who works without pausing gains an advantage in the short run. That person outpaces you. That person's team, that person's ministry outpaces you. And others overlook you and start to look to them. They're getting ahead. But it's not going to last. And if you've been around long enough in ministry, you will know the wisdom of what this is saying. Those who skyrocket like stars only in time to fall. This is the old folk adage of the turtle and the rabbit, the tortoise and the hare, isn't it? We pause so that our teams who serve with us can pause. We pause so that the materials that we use can pause. If it's a horse, if it's a piece of land, if it's a piece of iron, if it's a team of people, wisdom succeeds by strategic pause for the purpose of vigorous work. Now, um, uh, it would be an Israelite who would talk like this. Uh, because the Israelites, you see, were called to Sabbath. In contrast to the other nations all around them. And so this Israelite sage is reminding us of the rhythm that God intended for his people. 
We cannot seek to succeed by foolish means. Not as a covenant people of God. You see, uh, one like Solomon would have learned this rhythm. It's the Genesis rhythm. It's the Eden rhythm. Remember? Work. Rest. Work. Rest. Work. Rest. Work. Rest. Work. Rest. Work. Rest. 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 Work. Rest. See? Do you hear the rhythm of Genesis 1? That's what you and I are created for, to surrender to that God-given rhythm is what any leader needs to succeed as God defines success. In contrast is the one who bypasses, fights, resists that Genesis rhythm to get ahead, even in the name of God. Only in the end, to have to use more energy, burn themselves and their teams out. Have you ever tried to cut an orange with um, a plastic knife? Or uh, slice into a grapefruit with a dull butter knife? You just gotta use more effort to get that in. That's like what's happening to many of us in our souls, and this is an error of a leader. So we're transitioning now, very briefly, looking at what leads us out of sync and breaches us out of rest in our work, and that is a belief that we are not like other people. We are immune because we are God's favored leaders. Therefore, we can stick our hand where a serpent is and not get bit. Therefore, we needn't rest. We can work, work, work without rest, and we will succeed. And we're saying that is folly. So we're transitioning now from that. I'm going to begin to work to the left of 1 Samuel 30. And as I do, I want you to think about Solomon's dad, King David, and a psalm about how an Israeli king would think about rest, not only the sage here, the wise King Solomon giving us sagacious wisdom, but David himself. On your way to 1 Samuel 30, you're passing by uh, Psalm 23, you remember this, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's the next line? He makes me lie down. We should just think about that for another month. He, God, 
makes me king. Rest. I'm not a farmer with sheep, but I've talked to people who are. Maybe some of you know about herding sheep. Herd, that's my southern Indiana accent. Herding sheep, not hurting sheep. And apparently sheep are anxious and nervous, and sometimes they won't lie down. They won't stop. And a wise shepherd gently handles the sheep in such a way that it lies down to rest. Could you imagine that God, in his desire that you would do a great thing for him, would make you lie down and stop? He makes me lie down. And so I've been asking the question, you see, (laughs) as a Gentile, how is it that the wise king had this view of rest, absence of of immunity? I'm thinking about his dad, the king, who perceives God as making us lie down in the midst of and for the sake of our work. I'm thinking about the Genesis rhythm I'm thinking about uh, this question and asking, is there any place in Scripture where we see this lived out? Like, how does this pausing in the midst of vigorous work play itself out? And there is a place, and it is 1 Samuel 30, and that's where we're turning now. And we're turning here to give ourselves categories of rest. So I'm not often linear in my talks, and that drives some of my listeners crazy. So I'm going to remind you what we've just done. We've asked, why is rest difficult for some of us? Why this breach in our being? And it's because we think we're immune, and we don't have to do what other people do, and we don't have to do what God commands. And now we're saying, uh, how is it that this rest God calls us to works itself out in the midst of real life. I mean, real-time stuff where it seems like no rest is available. And now we're answering, well, 1 Samuel 30. Is King David, the one who wrote about the God who makes him lie down, leading in a very tumultuous and traumatic context? And in it, we not only learn about the character of God, but we learn about the categories of rest. So that's your heading right now, the categories of rest. In 1 Samuel 30, the scene is like a movie. David and his mighty men come to Ziklag on verse 1, and while they've been away uh, fighting with, hiding among, hiding from the Philistines, An enemy has come in, burned the city, and captured all their wives and children. Just to remind you the fact that we just acknowledged that David is a polygamist, reminds you that he is no perfect hero, and that he is what he is by the grace of God. All the wives are taken. The children are taken. As he 
and his mighty men come to the city, verse 3, they find it burned with fire. Could you imagine how that must have been? They see it from a, a distance. They start to run. Now these are grown men who are soldiers running. They're running toward the fire, running to the city. And in verse 4, when they see that sons and daughters have been taken captive, David and the people who were with them raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Now pause there for a moment. These are not uh, Gentile soldiers. A little more stoic. My German heritage. A little more stoic. These are Middle Eastern Jewish soldiers. And what does it sound like to hear 400 warriors cry? And not just cry, weep till they have no more strength. Have you ever heard one man weep like this? Now imagine 400. They weep until they have no more strength. Have you ever wept so deeply that all your bodily strength was gone and you're just lying there on the floor? Tissues are everywhere and you are spent with the work of grief. And what happens when we are emotionally fatigued like this? Categories of rest, number one, emotional fatigue causes a need for rest. What happens? We often sin. The emotional fatigue itself is no sin. It's the wisest of responses to the thing they're facing. But have you ever said this to yourself? You've hurt a friend. You've snapped at a child or at a husband or something. And then you've said, ah, I'm just tired. And so in verse 6, these emotionally depleted soldiers are so distressed that they speak of killing David. Verse 6, they want to stone him. Now, these are his faithful men. They've been through thick and thin together. They know each other. They've survived in caves together. And the crisis comes, and now all bets are off. Why do they want to kill their friend and their faithful leader? Because it says they are bitter in soul. The bitterness of soul, emotional fatigue, 
Kill him. Make it stop. Make it go away. Blame. You did this to me. Emotional fatigue is a sane and wise response. But sometimes in our emotional fatigue, we respond poorly. David, in contrast, strengthens himself in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you surely shall overtake them. I am shocked at this verse. What do you mean you're pausing to ask God if you should go save your wives and kids? I don't have a category for that. God, should I go? Now, we know how David strengthens himself in the Lord. He gives us lots of examples. They're called Psalms. And when this is no pristine, oh God, this is, oh! When David says, oh, Lord, in the Psalms, when he speaks about the bitterness of his soul, that oh, oh, it's groaning too deep for words. I've gone down to the pit. I'm forsaken. I'm forgotten. Oh, God, my children, God. He strengthened himself in the Lord with ugly prayer. I call it ugly prayer because if you were to look at it, it would not look pretty. If you ever wept till you have no more strength and then call out to God, if someone were to knock on the door and if you were to answer it, you would have ugly looking face. He strengthens himself in the Lord because he has the double wound. And some of you in leadership have the double wound. It is the thing itself. His own wives and kids have been taken to. And then now those he would turn to for help turn on him. They turn against him. It's the double wound. It is Job's friends. The double wound. The thing itself, and then how the community re hurts you. In light of it, he strengthens himself. Here's the point. Emotional fatigue cannot be solved by sinful response. Emotional fatigue requires ugly prayer. To strengthen ourselves, in the Lord. He will hold us up because we can't hold ourselves up. Now in verse 10, 
this physical fatigue and emotional fatigue join. Number two, under categories. Emotional fatigue, number one. Number two, physical fatigue. Adds, adds to it. Can you believe verse 10? 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. Can you imagine uh, with General Patton on the way to the Battle of the Bulge and 200 GIs come up to him and say, Sir, we'd like to sit this one out. We are exhausted. And then you remember, wait a minute, wait a minute. These are no restaholic men. These aren't cowardly, timid men. These are people who have fought and fought and been faithful to David. They have run, fought, hid in caves, fought, run, fought, hid in caves, unjustly treated. Now they've run to the city to find uh, their families depleted. They have wept. And physically and emotionally, they are done. This is a faithful soldier. This is a soldier who has worked hard. This is a soldier who has found himself at the end of his physical limits and cannot go on emotionally or physically. Set that soldier in front of a Philistine king. But put him in front of an Israeli king who knows the Genesis rhythm and the God who makes us lie down and who knows that we must pause in order to keep going. And David lets 200 soldiers rest. Now he's pursuing the battle with half his men. Sometimes uh, in a church like the one I serve, we, we're very nervous to let volunteers have a break because we feel like they may not volunteer again. And so, we don't let them rest. And they've served for eight years in the nursery. And they're needing a break, and they feel guilty when they have been the most faithful people. They're the least people who need guilt. Let them rest. Go into battle with half. The Lord is with you. Now they find an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. David does a lot of things poorly. He does a lot of things poorly. But one thing that he does well is love enemies. It is amazing. David cannot handle women. David cannot handle power. But time and time again, when he faces an enemy, he shows love and mercy and forbearance to them. And here he is, an enemy, finds the soldier. And now we add sickness, the physical fatigue of sickness. That's third category. And they gave him water to drink. They gave him a piece and cake of figs, two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. And I'm thinking, 
What are you waiting on? You have paused to pray and strengthen yourself in the Lord. Now you're pausing to give this guy who's sick enough time to recover. They gave him a piece of cake and figs. His spirit revived. He had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt serving an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. See the contrast. The one kind of leader that cannot be slowed down by someone who's sick. The other kind of leader who lets 200 men stay behind, pauses to pray, and now pauses with you in your sickness. to give you food, to give you drink, to give you medicine, these cakes, to give you rest, to recover. Then he finds out from this man where they are and what has happened. And then David pursues. They overcome. They capture everyone. And they return. I'm down in verse 21 now. Now you can see it coming, can't you? A problem? Emotional fatigue needs ugly prayer. Physical fatigue needs physical rest. Sickness requires food, liquids, time. And now, now they're coming back having captured, recaptured their, their families, restored them. And the 200 men, verse 21, who had been too exhausted to follow David, who had been left at the brook Bezor, they go out to meet David. Now, here is the scene. I would like you to consider, women, I'd like you to consider for a moment that it was not your man who rescued you or your children. Someone else's man did that. Your man was too tired. Men, let's imagine you're the one faithful, courageous, earnest. Years of hard work, and your mind, your heart, and your body gave out, and you're watching another man Bring your children and your wife to you. Imagine you're with the Philistines in this moment and what that would look like. And now imagine the king of Israel, the anointed shepherd king. What will he do? As they come together, the soldiers who went on and fought are bad-mouthing those who were too tired to go on. I can imagine so. Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except that each man may lead away his wife and children. Hey, you can have your wife and your child, but nothing else. And David, the shepherd king, says in verse 23, you shall not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? Do you see what he just did? David just put himself between 
The 200 who were too exhausted and the 200 that went on. And he rebukes the 200 that went on. And by doing that, he defends the faithful tired. He defends them for their wives. He defends them for their kids. Little kid has to grow up knowing that his dad was not a wimp. His dad was no coward. The king says he was no coward. And then he makes a declaration. As is his share, verse 24, who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And notice verse 25. This king made that a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. There is a time when faithful servants must rest. And they have a role to play. Because after all, someone had to stay behind in the city, didn't they? With the baggage. I think about those, those of us as we get older. We're not able to physically able to do what we once did. And we wonder if being with the baggage is noble. And the answer from the shepherd king is, yes, I declare it as a way of being in the world for us. This is our rule. And I think about those of us who have known mental and emotional fatigue and disablement. And we wonder if we matter. And with the shepherd king, he says, yes, you do. It is a way of being among us. In our organizational culture, this is our way. We will not fight one another. We will recognize each person's role with the amount of work that they can do and the rest that they need. And then he says, all of us join in this spoil because God has done it. Are you emotionally fatigued? It is ugly prayer that you need. All the physical rest that you desire will not bring the rest you need if it's emotional fatigue. It will help. It is important. But you're going to have to ugly pray. Have you ever thought or noticed it like this? Like uh, I will think to myself in the fall, Midwestern fall, Leaves turn different colors and things like that. We eat foods called chili. We watch football. And I'll think to myself, if I just watch a football game, I'll rest. And even if my team wins, the game ends, and I am not rested. Even if I laid there physically and did nothing and just put food in my mouth, not chili, of course, that would be difficult, but, you know, you know what I mean? It's because whatever is troubling me eternity, eternally requires strengthening in the Lord through ugly prayer, and there's no way around it. No amount of video games for younger men, no amount of work in the yard, no amount of physical tinkering in the garage, no amount of 
taking a nap from the kid. No amount of whatever it is is going to do it. I must ugly pray. And others of us, when we're sick, we need to rest. And when we're physically exhausted, we need to stay back by the brook of Besor while others go on. We have to sit this one out so that in the future, we're there again. So that even if we're never there again in the future, we know we've been given a role to play by the shepherd king who makes us lie down. And we make it a rule and a statute for the culture of our family, the culture of our organization, the culture of our soul. That it is no foolish thing to rest. It is wise. And I'm guessing that after the celebration that took place, David slept. And slept without guilt. And just slept until he woke up with no alarm and gave thanks to God. What we've done is just oriented ourselves to the provision of rest and the rhythms of work from the shepherd king. This is the same shepherd who foreshadows the true one who came, who sat by a well at noon because he was tired, who slept so soundly in a boat around five o'clock in the afternoon as a 30-something that no amount of storm and adult shouting could wake him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take your word and these meditations upon who you are and you would gather them up and that you would kindly come and feed our souls and make much of it. We ask it in your precious name in Christ. Amen. Copyright 2017 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.